Hi, I'm Ellen Vindemut uh, from the Water Bear Network. I beat the often path my entire life by hiring myself for the jobs I wanted to do. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. Today, we've got an incredible guest for you. Ellen Windemute is the founder and CEO of Water Bear Network, a free environmental content streaming platform that Fast Company called Netflix for the Planet. Ellen is well-known for producing My Octopus Teacher, the incredible documentary that won this year's BAFTA and Oscar for Best Documentary Feature. Waterbear has impressive partners with over 100 charities and NGOs taking part, including WWF, Greenpeace, and many more. And she also has support of Prince Harry, Duke of Sussex. They're shining a spotlight on the most critical issues facing the planet today, and it's just a fantastic initiative. Beyond that, Ellen's personal journey is remarkable as she embraced entrepreneurship as a way of building a life and career of meaning. So here's Ellen Windemute of Water Bear. Okay, hiring yourself for the jobs that you wanted to do. That is a great hooky clickbaity intro. You got it. So what exactly does that mean? Or how did you come up with that philosophy? Well, it's sort of life came up with that option for me because um, when I was uh, a young woman just out of college and I went to film school and out of film school, the only job available to me was one of a secretary, but I couldn't type. I discovered that I really, um, I was never going to get the kind of work I wanted if I didn't create it for myself. And and I, I sort of scraped and scratched away at, you know, using any type of capability I had to get into the right place for a job that would maybe feel good for someone like me. Um, the only thing I had at the time besides um, a college and a university degree was the fact that I spoke four languages and then I started building it all together. So as soon as I, um, as soon as I got a job in a, a television company, I thought, yeah, television's the right place for me. But I was very, very uncomfortable within the corporate structure. So the first thing I I did uh, when I could was I hired myself for the job that nobody would give me which was to do international co-productions. That's incredible. And you've touched on without even realizing it, although maybe it's self-selecting because I sought you out because I'm so impressed with what you've done. But without even realizing it, you've touched upon so many of the values that we try to share on this show and so many of the things that I think are important. And one of the main topics that I wanted to talk with you about today was this concept of permission. I have a daughter myself, and I am a big advocate of this theory that I don't want her to seek permission and that nobody should seek permission. And what you described is much more empowering, building the life, recognizing that people aren't going to give you the things that you want. And obviously, if you're disadvantaged in any way, if you're a woman, it's going to be even tougher to get a lot of these things. So already I'm super intrigued and excited by this conversation. So and and another point is, you know, they say dress for the job you want, not the job that you have, which kind of ties into what you said. So how can people build a life for themselves knowing that nobody else cares what they, what happens to them? Or knowing that waiting for permission is waiting for Godot, right? Right. Um, 
especially I, I think the first thing to do is um, watch yourself in a conventional environment. There are many people and many of my friends who are very, very happy at the Warners of the world or the discoveries of the world or the Netflixes of this world. Watch and see how you do in the system that is already laid out. When you find that you're comfortable, become an expert mover and create opportunities within that system. When you find you're not comfortable because... Um, as in my case, I, I do have maybe an excessive, uh, um, an excessive sense of justice um, that is very often, you know, quite uncomfortable within a corporate environment. Um, you become very clear very quickly, I uh, cannot thrive in this environment and I have to leave this environment and find a way to hire myself for what I want to do. That makes so much sense. And I love that your progression has clear steps. So in the beginning of your career, you said, I'm very limited by what society has placed in front of me of what I'm supposed to be doing. But then you found something more creative and you said, in television, I can express myself and I get more creative there. But of course, that wasn't where you stopped. You could be making reality TV shows right now. You could just be fully embracing the world of television as it exists, but you've chosen to do something else and go even beyond that. So how did that progression go for you? Well, it was certainly not an easy thing. Um, in the beginning, due to the fact that I spoke languages, um, people didn't want me to be too creative. They wanted me to help them sell rights of television shows or documentaries or, you know, make deals. And so I found myself traveling the world making deals and realizing, yeah, that appeals to a part of me, but not all of me. That's, you know, the thing you kind of find in your progression. You sort of say, okay, I found something that I like to do. I'm doing it within a company. Don't love that. Half of me likes it okay, that's not bad, let me take the paycheck, keep learning, see what happens. Then came the other half and I, I said to my then bosses, would they let me um, become um, a producer and or would they let me finance co-productions and they laughed me out the door. That's perfect, right? That's a perfect time when someone laughs at you. You know, I'm in the wrong place. What I said, you know, reverberated unfavorably with the people that I'm with. Out. Do it. So that's what I did. And when you took that leap that so many people dream of doing, what were some of the first steps that you took to begin a new life? Well, the first thing I did was I had saved $200,000. And I said to myself, um, I will go no further than these $200,000. And if I don't start making money after I spend those on myself and the business I'm trying to build, I'm going to take a job again. That really worked. That's so cool. I love how specific that is. That's that's fantastic. Um, you know, another theme that we have to get into, you have an overdeveloped sense of justice, whatever that... Uh, before we jump into that, what languages do you speak? I'm curious. I sent something Germanic in there because you said Windemut, so... That's right. German, uh, a bit of English, Spanish, Dutch, and French. 
Dutch? Okay, my wife is Dutch. You're fluent in Dutch. I'm also fluent in Dutch. It's the only other language I know. <laughs> oh, that's very cool. Because, you know, I yes. live in Bergen in the Netherlands, so my, my office is in Amsterdam. That's so fantastic. Yeah, I lived in Amsterdam for over a year. I lived in Eindhoven for seven years. I lived in Maastricht oh, for wow. a year. So, yes, big fan. <laughs> Love the country. Love Europe oh, in general. And excellent. now I find excellent. myself in uh, the heart of a different kind of beast in a suburb of Los Angeles. <laughs> so it's a completely different world over here, but we have a lot less rain. Um, yeah, but, it's true. I know LA pretty well. But I, I think one of these questions that I wrestle with and that has been a, a problem, I also have, I guess you could say, an overdeveloped sense of justice or I have a, a, mm -hmm. a sense of what is right or what you wish you would see in the mm -hmm. world. And Taking that, there's a progression of, okay, how do I make the change that I want to see? How do I change the things that matter to me? Mm -hmm. And then you have this moment where you hit a wall where you say, if I talk about this, people just tune out. They're not interested. And that has been one of the great disappointments of my life in general. And it, mm -hmm. it ties back to the subject of this whole show because it was documentaries like Food, Inc. and Earthlings that changed my view on eating meat, for example, on our relationship to the world. I love yeah. the kind of documentaries and films that you make. They have deep personal meaning for me. And when you learn these things, the first thing you want to do is just shout it from the rooftops. You want to say, hey, everybody, check out Earthlings, check out Food, Inc. And you're met immediately with this almost religious resistance of no, 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 no. People don't want to talk about it. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to entertain any of this. So... It makes it very tough. And the, the question I've asked over and over again is how do we actually build the kind of change that we want to see, knowing that so many people are resistant actively yeah. to that kind of change? Yeah, it's amazing you say that because um, I've really um, spent my whole life working on that. Um, and the quick answer is what you have to do changes all the time because the mood in the world changes all the time. So, you know, at one point, maybe Al Gore is successful making a documentary about climate change that is super scary. But if you put that documentary out right now, nobody would be able to stand watching it because we know too much already. I think the reason why a lot of people don't watch documentaries is because they're in a state of twilight knowing. Twilight knowing is, I kind of know about food, but I don't want to watch Food, Inc. because I can't face having to learn something that I can't deal with, right? Or I don't have the bandwidth to deal with another show on climate change. I don't want to deal with uh, a, a film about um, climate refugees or you know, Ukrainian refugees. So yes, documentaries can strike a chord and twilight knowers tend to then watch the Kardashians or tend to go and soothe, self-soothe with a bunch of beers and, and video games. Um, however, I have been working on captivating that audience in another way. Um, and I think that our film, My Octopus Teacher, is a good example of that. Beautiful Because film. the people who ended up watching My Octopus Teacher were people who never, ever watched documentaries. Now, that's the audience that interests me in many ways. Um, we did not challenge the Twilight Knowers into anything scary, 
right? We didn't tell people things that they can't bear to hear. We gave them a story that in some way reminded them of um, our relationship with nature and how how animals take care of their own habitat. You know what happens to the octopus, of course, in the end, um, is that once the octopus has had her babies, she leaves the stage, right? She says, okay, here I am. I'm handing myself over to let the next generation live in my clean, beautiful underwater habitat. So um, I think that's an example for a documentary that worked. Um, but but it, it's, of course, you knew I was going to say this. It's, of course, much, much more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes a documentary like that uh, works for lots and lots of different people because it strikes a chord um, and you don't have to make a very big deal of the fact that every second breath we take comes from the oceans, right? People kind of get that from the way the oceans are treated through Craig Foster's cinematography and Roger's cinematography. Um, And they also get the reverence for nature from the way Craig deals with his environment. So that I think is a a really positive example, but there are films that can spell things out more um, that may not be watched by as many people because they're more challenging. They might have more challenging images. But there are other ways to get people to watch them. For instance, um, this week on the 4th of October, we came out with a film called The Letter. It's a YouTube original starring the Pope. And it's about climate change. So this very difficult subject of climate change, which you know, does, you know the film does not have a happy ending. This is not a film full of Hollywood moments. But it is a film starring the Pope. So people are already watching it like crazy because the Pope actually anchors the viewer in the film and they can actually see it. That's a second way. Um, There are many other ways. There is humor. I think using humor in films gets people to you know, have that water cooler moment the next day. Thank God we're having water cooler moments again, right? We've got our office. (laughs) So cool, we get to exchange information. So that is fun. When something's funny, you have your water cooler day the next day. When something is really eye-opening, you can have a water cooler moment with a couple of colleagues. So there are a lot of... Um, there are a lot of techniques on how to dress up a film to actually get people to watch it. Yeah, that's that's so brilliant. And the term Twilight Knowers, I had never heard that before, but how true is that? And I myself was a Twilight Knower for many years. And I'll, I remember a distinct occasion when I was in high school, back when I was a meat eater, I would eat in steak eating contests, all of that stuff. PETA came to our school and they wanted to show us a film about how the meat industry operates. They want to show you Slaughterhouse, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I said no. And like most people, and I have a sense of humor, I like to think I do, I was making fun of that. I said, not only am I not going, but I'm making fun of PETA because there are defense mechanisms that immediately trigger when somebody's challenging our worldview. And you say, oh, uh, stupid mm-hmm. idiots. But but some part of you, I, I was definitely even then a Twilight Knower. Of course, 
you knew in the back of your mind that watching that would cause you to change something. And that's why you don't watch it. It would cause you to change your brain. And it was, of course, several years from that moment before I would encounter Earthlings, Food Inc. and all of those other films, the China study and mm -hmm. so on, and then start really reevaluating my decisions. But I have noticed that there are many Twilight knowers. And the fact that you've been dealing with this for so long is just so fascinating because I'm much, I'm not nearly as far on the journey as you are. And the techniques that You're you describe. You're also not nearly as old as I am. No, but I'm working on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> That's right. But the fact that you have gone down these avenues, because again, it's like Al Gore releases an inconvenient truth. And at the time it was sort of celebrated, but then it was also made fun of and South Park just roasts it. And then everybody's making fun of Al Gore for years. And that's that defense mechanism societally kicking in where we say, okay, let's not listen to what he says in an inconvenient yeah. truth. Let's just roast him yeah. instead. And horrible, and horrible to think what that cost us, right? Yeah. What all those jokes cost us, the time it cost us. Right. Um, so, you know, as a filmmaker, you really need to think about how you're going to approach a certain subject at a certain time um, because we can't waste more time. I think people are really now saying unless things start absolutely changing, we are going to be past the point of no return within three years. Yeah. So you can't afford all this um, spoofing and you can't afford um, long waits and you can't afford to be indulgent and wait until your film budget is 10 million until you have the best cameras and the best equipment that is already too late. Do you see what I'm saying? It's do, a very yeah. different time. And because I felt that coming, um, I stopped making long form films. So this film, The Letter with the Pope is my final feature documentary. So it's now out. And um, I've, I've been working as head of Water Bear, uh, only on the Water Bear Network originals, all of which are shorts, and they, they have very quick turnarounds, so they're made in a very, very quick way. What we also do for Water Bear, um, which you can see, by the way, I think it's coming to Comcast any, any day now in the United States onto the Xfinity box, but you can definitely get it via your Android or your, uh, or your Apple. Um, and of course, the, the, the website. Um, you can watch Water Bear for free. You can see lots of Water Bear originals, which, is, which are on subjects surrounding the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals. Do you know what they are? Or have you heard yes, of them? Yes, they've come up in a few of my conversations. I know you're, you're focusing on circularity, and there's a, a community circularity, and I think two others <laughs> Water Bear is focusing on yeah. primarily. I mean, our stories really tell uh, stories or inspiring stories surrounding all 17 sustainable development goals, but we have these four big quadrants. And the big ones are biodiversity, climate, uh, community, and circularity. Those are the almost quadrants, but in each of these quadrants, you'll find loads of the values of the 17 sustainable development goals inside, packed in them. So um, because Water Bear is free, and because we're producing at the moment only short form originals, we're able to buy finished films that are longer and we're able to build tentpole campaigns around them. So when you just brought up your experience with PETA, 
we just um, launched a film called Slay um, on Water Bear. It's a 90-minute film about a fashionista who, um, after years and years of a very glamorous life, she gets a dog and she really loves this dog. And her relationship with her dog makes, makes her think about where that, God knows, $30,000 handbag she is wearing maybe comes from and where those shoes comes from that she wears and that she has 200 pairs of. So she decides to, to explore the world. She travels all over the world to see where leather comes from. And where wool comes from. And she assumed that high-end luxury brands have a very luxury, super deluxe distribution network. That is not the case. So that film is a massive eye-opener. I really suggest you watch it. Um, because people who... Um, give these incredibly opulent gifts to their wives and girlfriends from these high-end fashion brands, you really need to see this because it really will change your mind forever. Mm, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. And you mentioned, so my octopus teacher, obviously you won an Oscar for that. So congratulate you. It's been appreciated on the, the world stage. And it's a very mm -hmm. surreptitious, it's a sneaky film, like you described. It's it's a film that is unlike many others in that the story and the plot and the way that it moves is just different. And it's one of those films that you turn it on and you find yourself unable to look away, even though you can't really describe why. Like, what is propelling <laughs> me to the next scene? I don't know, but I can't take mm -hmm. my eyes off of it. And at the end, mm -hmm. I agree that you can't help but notice those little things sneaking their way into your brain, those just little quiet thoughts, but they're not overt. It's not something that you're bashing people over the head with. Mm -hmm. So knowing that things have changed and that our approach must change, which I think is a brilliant concept, and also knowing that it's zero hour, that there are maybe three years left, that, that time is of the essence, how do we jibe that fact with the fact that culturally right now, everybody seems to be so burnt out on doom and gloom and we're heading into another recession of unknown length after coming out of a pandemic and all mm -hmm. of the world just feels terrible and awful and all of the news seems bad constantly. Mm -hmm. And I think people are just so burnt out on that. So how do we square this extreme urgency with the fact that all of this just seems like more bad news to people who don't want to think about it right now? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing I'd like to say about bad news is there is a lot of bad news, but news makes money on milking bad news. So we went through four years um seeing a president whose face I really, really never wanted to see on a screen in the first place. And now we're spending four more years. Then we spent three years on COVID. I really didn't need to know five times a day all the stuff they were repeating again and again about COVID. And now something very similar is happening with uh, the atrocious war in the Ukraine. So systemic to news is that 
it bashes you over the head over and over and over again because the advertisers make revenues that way. You need to know that so that you can take a step back from that and say, you know what, maybe I don't have to leave the news on all day long on my radio or on my television because it's going to be bad and they're going to be milking me for advertising dollars all day long, right? That said, it's very important to understand what's going on. But, you know, getting a really good blog and reading a good paper on your phone is perfectly sufficient. That's how I feel about the news. Documentaries should be counter-programming to the news. So documentaries should not slide into the same dark, slithery place that I feel our national news is now in, which is, you know, making money on our fear. Um, we need to be inspiring and we need to be educational in a very entertaining way. We need to assume that people care in order to do good work. The news does not assume that people care. They're bashing you over the head all the time, right? We assume you care because we care and everyone we know cares. And that means you have a completely different approach to, in a way, the love and the nurturing that you put into a film, even if it's a low budget, really short film. No, that, that makes so much sense. And it's a theme that you've touched on because, again, you got out of the television world to build this new platform precisely mm -hmm. because you didn't want to be a slave to the advertising dollars. You didn't want those influences as they exist in traditional television influencing the kind of work that you do, if I'm assuming that correctly, which is sort yeah, of similar to your – initial thought that in the corporate environment, can I be myself? So as an employee, you say, I don't thrive in a corporate environment because there are certain boundaries placed around me that I don't agree with or values in place that I don't agree with. So you break free to do that. Then you find yourself in another environment, but you say, I see how this system works and it works based on advertising dollars and the incentive structure is just all wrong. And that forces you to make a certain kind of programming for a certain kind of reason with a certain kind That's of end. Right. And you want to break free from that and then go to a new thing where you say, I need to make stuff that really matter because the advertising dollar cannot be the holy grail for me. The holy grail for me is what we believe needs to happen with the planet and with climate change, yeah. all of these issues. I think that's the very interesting. The Holy Grail, Ross, is empowering the audience. The Holy Grail is sharing information that empowers the audience to make up its own mind and decide, I'm going to buy this, I'm not going to buy that. I'm going to do this, I'm not going to do that. That's really what we want to do. Have Have you seen much success? I know you partner with all kinds of NGOs, nonprofits, so the the accolades are incredible. Do you have any personal stories of, of people that are rolling in whom your work has impacted, who have they've changed? I mean, do you get a sense of making a positive difference on a daily basis as a result of the things you've been doing? Every day, um, our Zendesk is full of emails from people who say, um, I have been suffering from terrible climate anxiety and since I've been watching Water Bear, it's gone. Um, people who say I've been overwhelmed and depressed because I can't get authentic information in a safe way and I found Water Bear and I feel good. 
that happens all the time. People write to us and say, through you, I connected with, you know, this and this NGO, be it Sea Shepherd or Jane Goodall, and I found my passion. You know, my passion is giraffes or sharks, or my passion is air pollution, or my passion is ocean. That is fantastic, the, the, the way that works. Yeah, that's that's a great idea. And what do you think about the concept of eco-capitalism or building better products? Because this is a thing that I intuitively believe in, but sometimes I read uh, criticism of that. They say capitalism is itself the problem. Do you believe that eco-capitalism is a part of the solution here for some of these problems? Um, there's a report, an economic report, that recently came out that said that U.S. corporations are putting $17 trillion a year into more sustainable R&D and more sustainable products. So it is a very real world and businesses are moving a lot faster than, say, politicians, right? Politicians at this moment have slowed down so much that it seems the big onus is now on the world's mayors, right? The world's mayors are, are able to better protect their parishes, right? Their cities, their towns against the, the, the environmental threats than any national politician. So um, I think these are trends that are, that are really strong and growing. Yeah, because it's like it may not be perfect and there may be problems with the system. But again, you we have to take steps. We have to do something. And when I read a lot of those criticisms, they'll say, oh, eco-capitalism uh, is a fad. It doesn't solve anything. Capitalism is the problem. Then I always think, well, the logical conclusion from that train of thought is let's just do nothing, which is not what yeah. we want. So I always think yeah. let's do something. Anything is better than nothing. Do you, yeah. Is that something well, that you, you know share? That, um you know that businesses are able to move faster than any other institution in the world. So you know also that we just discussed speed. So who can match the necessary speed? Business. Um, do a ton of businesses greenwash and do a horrible job with what, you know, you call ESG compliant right. um, management? Yes. Um is, is it still a, a really good place to go? And is it a great place to work? And are these businesses great um, partners to work with? Absolutely. Yeah, that's, and of course, when you read about the recession, I saw an article yesterday, it's, it, here's the recession. The first thing that businesses are cutting is their ESG. I said, no, come on. Like, why did you need to write that? But I guess it does play into what you said about the news in general. So. Yeah, we shouldn't and expect you know, much uh, from that, that. Kind of takes us back to my prior point. Um, businesses on many levels understand that as soon as the consumer is educated into becoming a customer, they're going to stop selling their stuff unless they change. So we water bears simply want to empower our audience to make educated choices to become customers, not consumers, and 
stop those companies in their tracks who are just mindlessly trying to sell you more stuff. That's so true. And would you agree with the premise? And I think this is something that, that I really believe that I don't think many people believe at all. Mm-hmm. I think those twilight knowers, they believe, and I, I just assume this based on what I've witnessed, but they believe in their hearts that confronting some of this stuff in any form would somehow diminish them or harm them or make them more depressed or make them more sad. They think I'm happier now than if I watch this kind of content. Meanwhile, they freely acknowledge that they're very depressed and that they're not very happy now. They don't like their job. They don't like the state of work. They're very unhappy. Depression is through the roof as a society. Do you believe, like you said, with the Zendesk people coming through, it's like confronting this stuff, looking at it, it can actually have the opposite effect, which is positivity and uplift all of those people you described. It's not something that makes you feel worse, but maybe confronting it and seeing that there might be solutions to these things, that you might be able to be a part of the solution to these things could make you feel better and could give you a sense of purpose, which is something that I think almost everybody in the world claims to want. I think you're bang on with that point. I think that um, you're right about mental illness. You know, mental illness has um, hugely accelerated also over here in Europe especially among teenagers and young adults. Um, And you know that the biggest um, trigger to depression is feeling isolated. So um, if you have climate anxiety and you feel isolated, you're gonna be super depressed, right? Especially if you you don't have tools that older people have like meditation and the right kind of exercise and the right kind of diet and, you know, a a nice house with a garden, right? If you have none of those things, you sit there alone with your twilight knowing, which is anxiety, it's definitely anxiety, latent anxiety, and you sit there isolated. So what a community like Water Bear does is you're suddenly connected with millions of people. And we can build on that because we have an extremely strong and growing uh, social media community. Suddenly, you're watching examples of people who are getting up and doing stuff about whatever it is, be it food, be it giraffes, be it, you know, clean water. Um, The second thing is you're connected through Water Bear on social media with all kinds of people who are very, very much in line with, yes, I know this too. I share the anxiety with you. Yes, I love watching these people and you know all, what all these characters uh, are putting up with, how they're coping with it. It's an automatic, uh, massive support system. And I've experienced that myself. The reason that I started this show was two years ago was because I was also getting very cynical and I was tired of only thinking about the people that I hated all day. Like somebody Mm. that you mentioned earlier, whose name I shall not repeat. I was tired of thinking about all of the jerks in this world and how bad they are. And I thought there've got to be people out there that I like what they're doing. And let me go look for those kind of people. And that thought has led me here now with you. And I got to tell you, doing that, each time I'm in a conversation like this with somebody such as yourself, it is like finding an oasis in the middle of a desert or being able to take a deep breath in outer space. 
I just get such a sense of peace from this idea that, okay, there's one other person that shares some of these values, that shares some of these thought patterns, when in many aspects of our daily life, we can go days or weeks without encountering somebody else that shares those viewpoints. And then you do feel very isolated. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, I mean, I'm part of a, a, a men's sports club and none of them share these values. They are very typical American men and the exact definition that it's always been known and stereotyped around the world. I enjoy playing sports with them. It's very fun. We have a lot of fun, mm -hmm. but we do not connect on any of this kind. Of, they're just going to go eat their burger and eat a steak and, you know, drive their pickup truck. Mm -hmm. And that that's the life that they want to live. So that makes you feel like, am I crazy for seeing something that nobody else sees? And when you have a community of people who see things the way you see it, it makes you feel validated and you say, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not insane to see this. There are other people who are smart and have their hearts in the right place and they see it too. And I think that's such a powerful force for anybody who feels alienated. That's a very good point. But I, I also think playing sports with a bunch of fun guys is a massively constructive thing to do. It, it is. No, it's great. It's <laughs> awesome. I love them. Yeah. And I'm really happy to hear that you're playing sports with, you know, a bunch <laughs> of guys because people need to have a good time. Like you have right. to enjoy this life, this moment now, you know, play sports with your friends. You can't find uh, that you're going to agree with everything with every friend you play sports with. Sure. Um, the beauty of our society today and, you know, the upside of digital media is you can be talking to people thousands of miles away who share a passion that you have. And you might not find everybody um, in L.A. across the street from your sports club. Right. But you can find really interesting people now through uh, uh, networks like Water Bear all over the world. So you can actually do it all. You can have your family, you can have your work, you can play your sports, you can have other friends with whom you discuss environment and furtherly, further other friends with whom you do art. That is a balanced life. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. And it is the fruition of stuff that we sort of noticed decades ago at the beginning of the Internet. That was the first the first chat rooms were inklings of that notion where you say, hey, mm -hmm. I can chat with somebody. And now what was chat with text has migrated into these incredibly beautiful, immersive documentary experiences where instead of just text, I can see something. I can go yeah. underwater with a camera and see an incredible definition and color this environment that you're trying to portray. And how much power is that? Or we can go on an Arctic ski trip or summit Mount Everest. That's the power of film, mm -hmm. especially when the power of film is put towards good use. So yeah. as we transition to the next part of this conversation, since you've made that progression, which I wholeheartedly applaud, I think you're a great role model for so many people. Uh, now that you're here, do you feel like this is the final stop? Do you feel this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? I'm committed. Water Bear is it. And this is the type of thing. Do you think that there's another progression in store for you? Are you fulfilled and happy? How does your career feel these days? That's a really good uh, question. I just moved um, this month to um, the chair of the supervisory board. Um, so I'm, I've, I've stepped out of operations at Water Bear because the people that are doing 
the running of the company can do it far better than I can. Um, my whole life really was driven by my curiosity. So I've never stopped immersing in subjects or immersing in entire areas that would bring me more knowledge and understanding. Um, so th the short answer is I have no idea what I'm going to do. And I have no idea whether Water Bear is going to be the last business I set up or not, or whether Water Bear is the last organization I'm going to be affiliated with uh, for the rest of my life. What I do know is Water Bear is a life commitment from me, but it might not be my only commitment. I might make more films. I might come up with something else. It's, it's very much, I think, the you must talk to a lot of people like this, and I think you're one yourself. The drive is not money. The drive is not, you know, reputation. The drive is not any of, you know, what people call the eight worldly dharmas. The drive is learning. I love learning. That's giving me goosebumps when you said that. <laughs> That's exactly right. Clearly, that is not the goal. Otherwise, I'd be saying, we've got a cheap piece of plastic for $19.99. Buy now. Buy now. Act quickly. Here's That's a makeup right. kit because you're ugly. <laughs> you know? There, yes, that is absolutely not the motivation. Um, and I, I do want to circle back on a point at the very beginning of this conversation. You said $200,000 to invest in yourself, a powerful mm -hmm. thought that oh. anybody could resonate with. How did that actually go? So you said, if the money runs out, I'm not going to, I'm going to go get a job. How long mm -hmm. did it take before that investment paid off? And what type of investment did you make with that money in yourself? Well, um, what I did was I set up a company. Um, that company was off the fence, right? It comes from get off the fence, which is, you know, get your ass in gear, make a decision, right? right? That's what you need. The, 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 the greatest need for every startup is speed. You, you just need everybody to say no quickly and to say yes quickly. Um, so uh, I set it up. And I used the money to travel to television events and to buy rights to documentaries. And I broke even after two years. And how did you come up with the concept of that business model? It seems so specific. How did you think that that might work? I, um, I remember that I, I didn't type. I actually hand wrote. I hand wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. I wrote about myself. I wrote about what I love. I wrote about what I care about. I wrote about what that would look like in um, a job. I wrote what that job would look like in a business. And then I thought, you know what I'm really good at? I'm really good at talking to people from all over the world. Why? Because they interest me. I'm curious about people. I love to know what life in South Africa is like or in Uganda. I love to know what life in Alaska is like or life in India. I'm going to use that curiosity and talk to people about what they're curious about. And I'm going to do all that in television because it's a, it's a really easy place, an easy community where people come from all over the world to Cannes, to these television events, and they exchange all these, you know, amazing pieces of information and all this dialogue. And there are lots and lots of films there. So that's really 
Um, and when you think about having only $200,000 to do that, um, and also because I was always really bad, as I said before, you know, at administration. So I had an assistant and myself and $200,000. It's actually not a lot when you realize how much traveling and buying and representing you have to do. That you were able to stretch that for two years is remarkable. Were you earning That's any kind of remarkable. income? That is remarkable. Uh, were you earning no, revenue I, I along the way? I did. I had, I, I did. Um, there were um, producers, a couple of producers that paid me retainers to take their stuff with me. Yeah. So I did have them support me and say, Ellen, I don't want to go on the road. Better you than me, you know. You can sell owls to Athens, so go sell my stuff. Right, you were like a plugger of the TV world, but in a different way. Yeah. It sure was. Yeah. That makes so much sense. What an incredible, incredible story. And you're living proof of my central hypothesis or the thesis of this show, which is that you can find a mission and you can also be successful, that they're not mutually exclusive. I think for mm -hmm. many people, there's this idea that if I commit to these types of values, I'm committing myself to be poor and destitute for the rest of my life. I'm just either going to be Mahatma Gandhi or Mother Teresa, or I'm just going to buy wholeheartedly into this capitalistic system and go sell tobacco to teenagers. And there's really not a lot of stuff in between. But your story is such a great template for doing something meaningful, for finding a sense of mission and also personal empowerment, which is so, so important and personal yeah. growth, which is so, so important. And for many people, entrepreneurship is a big part of that journey. You can't just ignore that. So this is very cool to me. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's definitely not an easy thing in that, you know, you, you do have to understand that when you work with these kinds of stories you you know you have to read a lot you come across a lot of information um there's stuff you definitely don't feel like reading or hearing um and there are techniques on how to cope with that um because you really um don't want to get too many um bad pieces of news on the same day um but i do think it's a very truthful and upright way of life and I prefer that any day to a, a gigantic salary. I completely agree. It's so noble. Nobility, what does that word mean? What does it mean to do the noble thing? <laughs> I, I don't think I'm very noble. I think I'm just very practical. <laughs> well, we can agree to disagree on that point. I think it's quite noble. <laughs> but, but it's also practical from a certain point of view. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, it's, yeah. I, I'm just blown away by the simplicity and the clarity of thought that you've always had. And, you know, I think you, you characterize yourself as overly uh, <laughs> just you're you care too much, but I think you care the right amount. And it shows. Do, do you feel when you wake up every morning a sense of purpose? Do you have that dread when you go to work in the morning or are you excited? Well, um, we have scary times at Water Bear, right? It's scary to run technology. Things can go wrong. It's scary to have a team produce live events. That could go wrong. Um, it's scary to have investors who want to see results. Who knows how quickly things are going to grow? 
what's going to happen to the economy. So no, I think I have the exact same, you know, the exact same issues that every entrepreneur has, but I never don't want to go to work. Right. I, I, every day, cause it's also, there's a, a really wonderful team working at water bear. So, you know, the colleagues like to see each other. Um, and they, you know, we like to hang out together. So that sense of community is there. Um, and I, I must say that I, I don't think I could um, take a job where I was um, representing a product or selling a product or manufacturing a product or getting behind a product that I don't really think is important. And I think so many people are right there at that moment right now. Dress for the job you want, hire yourself for the role. And one of the things that you tossed aside in the beginning was, you know, collect that paycheck while you're building that. Do you advise that for people to say, okay, if you're in something, you know, collect that paycheck, save your $200,000 such that, do you think in that sense, the ends justify the means if you're aware that you're helping sell a product that you don't Absolutely. necessarily believe in to not be too hard on yourself or to be too Absolutely. negative about that? Absolutely. I think one of the worst things entrepreneurs can do is be too hard on themselves. I think most people are too hard on themselves. Um, I also would say sitting here in Europe, Americans are incredibly hard on themselves. Yeah. You know, the, the Americans I know who are working three jobs, you know, driving their kids to school, cooking dinner, exercising two hours a day. It's unbelievable what Americans do. And I, I think um, being kind to yourself is massively important. Um, and also don't set yourself goals that are going to make you feel awful, like have no money, give yourself three right. months to make the break. Right. I don't exactly. believe in that. I've never been like that. Right. And, and so you, true. I think you hit the nail on the head when you, you, when you use the word aware, if you're aware that you're doing this job because you need to, you know, spend, you know, save your equivalent of the $200,000 if you need to do that and you're going to do it via this job, be aware and do it. Because if you're aware, you don't feel depressed about the, the job that you're doing. That's not your ideal job. Mm. The Such why is important. Why am I doing this job? Okay, that's why. Great. Now I'm motivated. Such wise words. I can think of no better way. To wrap up this episode, as I said at the beginning, it's been an absolute pleasure. I knew it was going to be incredible. It is incredible oh, to just borrow an hour of your very valuable time. So nice uh, for those listening, the website is waterbear.com, water and bear, B-E-A-R, like the animal bear.com. It is a Netflix for building change. It is a Netflix where all of the content is emp empowering and positive and rooted in very real issues. It's an incredible concept, brilliant execution. And you don't need to take my word for that, folks, because the amount of partners that you have, the amount of support that you have is just off the charts. Incredible buzz happening around this. So again, I thank you very much, Ellen. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, with that, the official podcast is over. Mm -hmm.